Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. are upon us and bet online is where you can find it from basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups including prop bets and futures bet online has all the latest odds news and information for all your online sports betting needs visit the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and join to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit so before the next tip off face off or pitch head on over to bet online and start playing today but online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. We have a very special episode for you today with Diane Caffarata and Kanika Corley, two very well-known uh, attorney litigators in California. And uh, they were kind enough to join the graduate sport management class at Cal State Long Beach that I teach. And... Um, here we go. All right. So we have two very, very special guests who's gonna, who are going to be with us for the next hour. Uh, the first is uh, Diane Caffarata. She is a partner at Quinn Emanuel. Uh, Quinn Emanuel, if, if you want to sort of take a moment to Google search it, uh, it is probably one of the most powerful uh, litigation firms in the world. Uh, they've got offices all across the world. Diane has been there, a partner there. Um, uh, for I think she's been there for 20 years and uh, just a very well-known, very well-respected. She's an author of a book recently, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. And then we also have uh, Kanika Corley, who is equally uh, as impressive. She's a partner at Ackerman and her practice. Uh, so Diane's a litigator. I forgot to mention that. Uh, Kanika's practice, uh, she's a litigator as well, but she also does some transactional work. And uh, her work is in entertainment, media, and sports. And so today we're going to be talking about sort of sports business, legal litigation, and negotiations, which, um, you know, you all can use in your uh, sort of daily lives and, and sort of when, you get in, when you're getting jobs and that sort of thing. So, um, so welcome uh, uh, to Diane and Kanika and uh, happy that they're both with us today. And so as a little bit of an icebreaker, Diane, do you want to talk a little bit about um, your litigation book and, and sort of how it's a part of your uh, everyday life? Sure. So uh, last year, I decided to write a book. I have been at Quinn for 20 years and uh, a little more than that now. And uh, we are the world's largest all business litigation firm. There is no transactional department. You can't get there and think that you're going to wind up a real estate lawyer or something like we only fight we only do disputes and we do them in kind of a what i think of as kind of a magical way where we come up with creative ways to deal with very very complex issues and win 90 percent of the time and so um you know the, our sort of brand of how we do things i thought was something that really should be the subject of a book there are a lot of of litigators that i think kind of paper a case and and they can be effective in their own way, but they can also be, you know, wasteful or what have you. And uh, this is sort of an introduction to 
litigation, any kind of business litigation whatsoever. And it's meant to be super readable so that you don't have to be a lawyer to read it. You, you know, one of my friends, her 14 year old daughter read it and was like, oh, I get it, I get it. And so it's meant to be very approachable. And uh, for that purpose, it's helpful for, you know, people in the business world, uh, foreign in-house counsel that maybe don't know that much about the US system or don't understand the principles that animate our system. And so, um, yeah, so a lot of it is kind of common sense and explaining the, the background of our, you know, why our litigation procedures are the way they are and why they're, you know, they're geared toward fairness and, and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, and it's been a lot of fun because it's gotten quite a bit of attention from foreigners, uh, you know, people outside the country who, who, you know, are super delighted at this, you know, sort of what they think of as insight and what I think of as just kind of writing down all the things I've been doing all these years. Um, but uh, also for purposes of teaching classes, it's now being considered for uh, a textbook in for business law. And, um, and it's just, it's an easy read. It's on Amazon. No, thanks, Diane. And, and she is, uh, you know, it's so funny. So I've known Diane for years, right. And uh, it's, I mean, she really is a, a force in the litigation world. So um, you know, I mean, just keep that in mind as sort of you're thinking, oh, actually, so what's the name of the book? We forgot to mention oh, that. I even have it right here called Business Litigation Demystified. And there's a little smart alecky silhouette there. That's me. I, I also forgot to mention that uh, in her spare time, she races Porsches. So uh, FYI. <laughs> but um so anyway, just a very inspiring person. And then, of course, equally inspiring is Kanika. So Kanika, thanks for being with us. Um, I know that um, it wasn't easy for you to be here today and you've, you've had to call in and all that. So maybe talk a little bit about sort of some of the clients that you're advising and um, give us like a little bit of your background. Sure. I don't know how I can follow what Diane just presented. That was so amazing. <laughs> um, I want to now read the book and, and um, you know, be her intern. Um, so in terms of who I am, and, and I'm sorry, everyone, that I'm not on camera. I, I am mid-move right now and having a lot of technical issues. So as Jerry, Jeremy mentioned, I am just dialing in. Um, but hopefully this won't be too painful to just hear my voice. Uh, in terms of who I represent, um, I right now I'm representing um, a professional uh, or an NBA player who actually just just got out of the playoffs in, in one of his cases. Um, another NBA player's company who um, is who he got out of the playoffs in the first round. Um, so I have some, I'm, I'm just trying to keep up with Diane right now. I'm just trying to show off for, for a minute. <laughs> so, um, aside from that, I have been representing um, people in the sports industry on the business side, really. That's where my focus has been because we don't typically represent a lot of talent. We represent a lot of uh, companies in, in helping them either with their nonprofits, helping them um, when they are being sued, when their businesses are being sued, helping them to understand and just kind of managing a business life for them. Sometimes it ends up in lawsuits that have to do with theft of intellectual property and the like. And, and so that's a lot of the, the work that I do generally. But as I mentioned, as to those first two clients, um, I consider them to be kind of um, 
outliers and and really fun to work with because they're they're outside of the issues that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. One of them in particular has to do with diversity and inclusion and, and helping to, um, to, to make sure that any endorsement deals with um, in which he's agreed have the appropriate level of diversity and inclusion clauses. So we're creating writers um, for his company to implement on a going forward basis. So that's, that's a pretty cool thing that I'm working on right now. Oh, that's awesome. And then um, uh, obviously you, both of your offices are in downtown LA, right? Kanika Ackerman's downtown too, right? Yes, we are downtown. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for that. And then, uh, so switching gears a little bit, um, Diane, maybe discuss your career path a little bit. Cause I feel you have, well, both of you have very inspiring career paths and sort of where you've, where you've ended up, but Diane, if you mind sharing a little bit about your background and sort of how you got to where you are today and uh, that you have three graduate degrees and <laughs> all that good stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a, a special level of crazy that Jeremy and I share. Um, yeah, so I actually back in the day, back probably before most of you were born, I was a Sovietologist, so I was really interested in the Russians and everything that they did, and I had a couple of degrees in that in Russian language and literatures, and and I was followed what I was passionate about, so. Uh, you know, at that point in my life, I was all about Russia and the Cold War and all that. And when I discovered I wasn't going to be a government agent after all, because uh, they had a higher increase, I uh, applied to law school and I had a, an ex-husband who uh, really wanted to be, me to be a lawyer so I would make the big bucks. So I did that and I've been a litigator ever since. I never really contemplated anything other than that, although I have an MBA as well. And I love the business side, but at the same time, I just, you know, I think my temperament is more about this, the, you know, strategic aspects. So, yeah, so I've been doing this for about 22 years. I started at Cooley Godward, which is a firm. Uh, I mean, it's got multiple offices, but it's based in Northern California. And then I moved over to Quinn because I really thought it had a superior business model and, and I wanted to, you know, be a true trial. So that's how I got. No, thanks, Diane. Uh, and then, then, so Kanika, maybe the same question to you, sort of what, uh, how did you kind of get to where you're at now and what was your, what was your career path? Sure. So, um, I'll say that when it's kind of aging myself, but when I, when I decided I wanted to be a lawyer, it was because my parents told me, I told me I had two options. I could either be a lawyer or a doctor. Um, and at the time, uh, the Cosby show was huge. And I thought, Felicia Rashad, the, the mom on the Cosby show was the best thing ever. And I wanted to be just like her. So that was my career path starting at age eight. And I went all the way through. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to say from preschool to law school, never stopping in between. I started off as a litigator and really enjoyed it, but got to know my clients quite well. When you're litigating, it takes you know years to get all the way through the process of of you know trial by judgment or however it's going to ultimately end. And I decided that because these clients, some of them actually needed help in understanding their businesses. Once we were done and we had we had finished the the task at hand, the litigation, I wanted to keep them around and I wanted to understand how their businesses were running. And so I went back to USC law school um, and I got a graduate certificate in um, business law. And 
that taught me all the transactional side that I wasn't getting from being at a, at a purely litigation firm. So I was able to really uh, have, take a deeper dive in understanding my clients' businesses. And so that's something um, that I did. And, and it's really paid off in helping me to be a better litigator for my clients on a going forward basis and to help them understand um, risk assessments and other issues that they're going to be dealing with on the business side. Um, so that's kind of the trajectory from the Cosby show all the way through to trying to help clients after, after litigation ends. Wow. No, that's great. Um, no, thanks for sharing that. And then now, you're also a teacher as well, right, Kanika? You're teaching at USC, aren't you? I do. I teach um, at USC Law School, the graduate program, the Master's of Law program. Um, I teach a trademarks course there. Oh, wow. And then, so I'm going to stick with you, and then, Diane, I'm going to come back to you for the same question. So, um, you know, obviously landing your first job, right? I mean, this is an internship professional development class for sport management program. And I know there's some folks in the class that eventually want to go to law school, uh, folks who have communicated that to me, but what was sort of, but I think, you know, career wise, right. It's, um, you know, breaking into anything is, is, is difficult. And so maybe if you could share um, sort of your story as to sort of how you landed the first job and what were some of the trials and tribulations that you sort of had to go through to, to, uh, to, to sort of land that first job and to kind of get to where you're at now. Sure. So I think, you know, it, as, as you all who are here know, you, you kind of sometimes have the desire to work in a particular industry. And, and for, for us, I'll, I'll speak of us collectively, it's kind of that media, entertainment, and sports um, area. And, and so you have this drive. Well, when you're in law school, those courses aren't available to you until you're a second year and really not really until your third year if they're taught in your law school at all. So you have to do everything you can to get to a firm where they actually have that practice. A lot of firms will say they have that practice, but they actually don't or they want it. And so you're kind of trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out where the client base is and how you're going to get the attention of people. So what I did was I worked at firms where we had people who were transactional attorneys um, who had this practice in media, entertainment, and sports, but weren't interested in trying to teach a first year, a second year, a third year. And so you just keep getting pushed back and back. So it's in law school, you can't get the classes because they're all filled before you can ever sign in uh, or sign up for the class. And then after you graduate, you can't get the job because they're the most sought after. And um, you know, you've got 99% of the people trying to get that 1% of, of the jobs where these um, positions are available. And, and so what I did was I had to kind of figure out my own way. I talked about earlier how some of my clients include um, professional athletes who have nonprofit organizations. And that's how I found my way into getting in to that industry, learning the business side and seeing that prof former professional athletes and current professional athletes, some of them have nonprofits. Those nonprofits have a lot of legal issues. So I learned the 
IRC, the Internal Revenue Code, as relates to nonprofits, and then started talking to people who were current and former professional athletes about those issues and about what it means to have a lawyer helping them understand it as opposed to having an agent who might get them into tax trouble, which could land them in prison or, you know, or some sort of other civil liability because they're not really paying attention to the legal ramifications of those issues. From there, I started getting into, well, it's not just about nonprofits. It's also about intellectual property because this athlete has a name, name, image, and likeness issues start popping up. And then you use that uh, licenses are necessary. And so there are just a whole world of legal issues that arise from just pointing towards nonprofits and focusing there. Um, so that was what I did to find my way into the industry. Eventually, I found myself at a firm that actually had the practice, a media and entertainment and sports practice. It was solely litigation based. And I got a lot of experience um, at my former firm where I was for 12 years almost, um, just doing litigation in, in those areas. That litigation was fed to us through insurance companies because the businesses themselves are insured and insurance companies use panel attorneys, attorneys who agree to certain rates and will take on all their cases. And so we were on a specialty panel and I got in deeper into those industries and really got to understand them. Litigating helps you understand people's businesses and, and the industries um, immensely. So that's what I did in order to get into that industry, kind of finding my own way. And I think a lot of people find themselves having to do just that. I mean, Jeremy, you're, you did something similar in terms of deciding to trademark the name of the thing you wanted people to search to find you. And you, know, you, you just have to do it. You've got to figure out your way to get a footing and to have business come your way. Um, since then, since joining my current firm, I've um, fortunately been referred business from people who've known me over the years. And that's just what happens. Over the years, people get to know you. Jeremy is someone who always is there to refer business to me. So you get to know people who have certain ins and, and they come to you that way. So sorry for the, the long-winded explanation, but that's, that's kind of what I see is how you do it. No, well, thanks, Kanika. That's awesome. I, I love your focus on the, non, the nonprofit stuff because that applies directly to everybody you know, here in the sense that a lot of times you think, oh, I got to get into sports through the front door and you got to get in through the front office. But the reality of it is, is every sports team has a foundation. Um, I mean, you know, Deedon works for, you know, a foundation. A lot of the work that he does is for the nonprofit. Uh, and of course, um, in the way that uh, I actually met Deedon was through Diane. And Diane introduced me to Deedon the, the, the minute that I moved back up to Los Angeles after going to law school in San Diego. And when I came back, it was actually at a Rose Bowl event. <laughs> so um, it was literally, I think that Friday, I moved in on Thursday. So uh, that's, that's awesome. So I just keep that in mind about the nonprofit stuff, because there's a lot of opportunity there that, that people aren't tapping into because they think that it's not as, um, you know, sort of glamorous, right. 
but the reality of it is, is every team has one. So uh, definitely look at uh, getting into those types of opportunities. So Diane, same question to you. Um, did you always want to be a litigator? Is that something that sort of, you know, was it difficult to start working at Quinn or was it easier to land that job? Like tell us a little bit about some of the difficulties sort of in, in getting to where you're at. Um, I pretty much in law school figured I wanted to be a litigator. I mean, I went to law school with the idea that I would be one. I kind of knew by that point what they did before that when I was doing my undergraduate work, I, I didn't have any clue what they did, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of liked the game. And so uh, when I went to Cooley, I thought it was a, a great firm and, you know, and it is, uh, but there were, yeah, I was very careful to kind of watch how, what the, what the interpersonal dynamics were there. And a lot of the really powerful people were leaving the firm around that time. So I jumped ship in a couple of years. And at that time, Quinn, I had always wanted to, you know, I had, discovered Quinn because uh, my legal research and writing professor was an ex-Quinn associate and had told me, if you really want to be a trial lawyer, you need to, to work at Quinn. And there was only a, an LA office. So I thought, oh, I don't really live in LA. I live in Northern California, so that's probably not happening. And then, but by then they had opened a tiny little outpost in East Palo Alto. And so, so I wound up joining that. And then it was kind of off to the races. And, and I agree with everything Kanika said in terms of you know, positioning yourself for if you're aiming for something in particular, I was not a particularly good uh, advocate for myself in terms of steering. Uh, I always, you know, at my firm, it was like drinking from a fire hose all the time. And it was more about the team aspect. We're, we're almost like a sports team. We're like the SEAL team of litigators. And so it's a dynamic where it's like, uh, you know, what is it we're doing today? And we jump in. So I really didn't in my younger days, um, focus very much on what aspects of litigation I was doing. I did a lot of intellectual property. I did a lot of financial litigation out of New York. I did class actions. I did real estate. I did all, all kinds of things. Um, but it wasn't until later years that I thought, oh, I probably would have been a better business generator had I focused a little more. And I don't think that specialization is necessarily always the way to go. Um, there's a lot to be said uh, for being a generalist. And there's a wonderful book on it called Range, which is about the power of generalists. And I think, I think there's a lot of truth there. Uh, but I have noticed that since I have been more certain of myself and what I bring to the party as a litigator and why I'm different, and it took me, you know, a good couple of decades to really focus on that. And, and there were reasons why it took me longer than it probably should have. But when I really stepped back and thought about what I bring to the party and why I'm different, uh, that's when I really started getting people calling me personally and following up, you know, the references started coming in, you know, oh, my friend is so-and-so, they worked with you on something and, and you know, I, I want you personally. And, and that's been uh, really gratifying because, um, you know, I do have my own particular style and uh, I think for a long time, maybe it got buried in big teams in that where I was, you know, one of several partners working on something, but there wasn't a lot of visibility into what I personally brought to the program. So I think regardless of whether it's sports or entertainment or whatever it is that you're really focused on doing, I think the main takeaway I would tell you from my slightly older vantage point would be, you know, get yourself out there and, you know, the book 
candidly, was an effort to create more exposure for myself and have something, you know, have a mechanism to talk about myself and what I do. That, you know, litigation is a process that should be taken for granted. There are a lot of good ways to do it and a lot of crappy ways to do it. And, and so, you know, it's gotten me podcasts and it's gotten me, you know, um, opportunities, you know, like this, I've sat on panels, you know, all kinds of stuff have come from just that little bit of visibility into the book. Um, so, so it's same thing. I and mean, don't be invisible. I think whatever it is you choose to do, uh, get out there and, you know, think deeply about what it is you bring to the party. And that, when that comes across to other people, that's when the business starts rolling in. Yeah. You know, Diane, to your point, and, and Kanika talked about this too. It's so important for the branding aspect, like to really, I mean, Dina and I had this assignment for brand you, right. So we'll be, we'll be talking about later in the second part of the class. The branding part is so important. Like if you're not telling people what you're doing, then nobody's going to know. Right. And then of course the, the, the second piece to that is distribution, right? If you're not sharing what you're doing, then nobody else is going to, uh, I, I remember when I first got started, uh, I remember I had a colleague of mine tell me, Hey, stop sharing so much information on social media. Like you're branding too much. And I remember I kind of looked at him and I was just like, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't have a PR department, dude, you know? So, um, so either I'm doing this or, or nobody is, but it's just something to keep in mind. And I think sometimes even when I was in school, I think you think that maybe, oh, you don't have anything to contribute, but the reality of it is, is you have more to contribute than maybe most because, um, you have that experience as a student. And frankly, there's a lot of leeway too. Um, a lot of times like you can get free or discounted memberships to different groups. You can, um, you know, you can connect with people because you're a student, right? You can share information, you know, you're younger, right? So you're probably more connected to social media and some of the stuff that's going on. Um, but I just encourage you to, as Diane mentioned, to sort of uh, pick what your passion is and go after it, you know? Um, all right. So let's see here. So Kanika, let's go back to you. Talk a little bit about if you can, um, maybe like a story where you sort of triumphed over adversity. And I'm gonna ask the same question to you, Diane, and sort of in your practice or just sort of in general. Um, yeah. Tough one. It yeah, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a tough question. And I, I just think about um, because primarily I'm a litigator, the process of, of these, of our cases, you know, is lengthy. Um, I guess what comes to mind when you present that question is one of my first IP cases um, where the, all the facts were against us, all the evidence was against us, but the lawyer on the other side was a pompous jerk, you know, so pardon my, you know, okay. bashing <laughs> her, but, but that's, that's how she presented herself. Um, I was a junior lawyer. She kept citing her credentials every time she saw me and every time we were on the record on a, at a deposition or in court or whatever, she would say, she, you know, she had, you know, she was a 77 USC law school grad. She would always say it and, and you know, kind of to make me feel, I, I guess, insecure. And it did. It was, it was, it was good. But what happened, the, the triumph is, we went to trial on our bad facts, on our bad evidence, 
and her her um, arrogance overtook the day and we defense the case and got attorney's fees and costs and she had to she and her client had to come up with more than a quarter of a million dollars to pay my client and to pay my attorney's fees and costs because she couldn't get out of her own way so i guess the the moral of the story is stick to it proceed keep going you know don't stand in your own way and don't be a jerk <laughs> love it good advice and then Diane, same question to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's uh, dealing with the personalities involved is always a challenge. I learned as a very junior lawyer that I could get under the skin of any seasoned litigator pretty easily by just knowing what I was doing and having a little bit of confidence and uh, and being just a little bit annoying by not backing down and. Uh, it served me well because I realized in, even in early hearings, it was like, you know, I would, I would go terrified thinking, you know, that man has 20 years more experience than me. Of course he knows better. And of course that guy probably just got his outline two minutes before from some associate who didn't care that much. And I was all about winning, you know? And so I was uber prepared and I would just go and whip him. And then like, wow, that was easy. And that, that happened as a junior lawyer and it can happen, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are corollaries in the business world or whatever it is you're doing, just, just knowing what you're doing, thinking clearly about, you know, what the task is before you, what the end game is and, um, you know, and, and keeping your cool, I think is part of it. And, and, you know, when now, you know, in my advanced age, when I have people across the people that are just doing that, you know, credentials thing or whatever. I just assume they're the ones that are insecure because I don't need to do that. You know, I can just walk in the room and they don't even know who I am. And, uh, and, you know, and then when they find out they're scared, but that, you know, but um, yeah, if they're, if they're doing that, I mean, just take it with a grain of salt. Like, remember, they're just people too. And uh, it shouldn't, it, it, it's almost like you should start to snip blood in the water, you know, like if they're, if they're that insecure and they're telegraphing it, then, um, you can be thinking about the things that really matter, the merits of whatever it is that, you, you know, that's before you and, um, you know, set up your negotiation for success. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, it, it's interesting. So we're going to change gears a little bit, uh, but, but similar topic and this idea of sort of discussing the importance of uh, negotiations in sort of everyday life, especially like your careers. I can remember sort of, and so this goes for everybody, you know, when you're talking about negotiating salary or, you know, cause each of you are getting into the last part of this program, right? I think you have one more semester, um, you know, so you're going to get out there and you're going to be negotiating salary for your job. And I can remember times in the past where I was just so unprepared and you end up leaving, you know, money and opportunity on the table and, you know, to be a great negotiator, I've often found you have to be a great litigator because you have to find out what's wrong with something um, so you can, you know, sort of fix it and use it in your life. And I often find that more, the more mistakes I have, I actually sort of somewhat enjoy messing up on things because I learn more from it, you know? Uh, but so maybe Kanika talk a little bit about sort of the importance of negotiation sort of in your career and what it's meant to um, uh, you know, sort of, what it's meant to you uh, in terms of like negotiating salary or what have you, or even for your clients. So it's, it's always been something that 
I felt that I was strong at. Um, I remember being in law school and taking the negotiation class, doing well in the first negotiation and then having people not wanting to um, do the mock negotiation with me at, at any other point thereafter because of the way that I used information. And it, it kind of goes to what Diane was just saying. Um, you have to be overprepared. You have to know exactly, you have to know as much as you can about the situation and as much as you can about the other person's situation and then utilize the information um, to your advantage, holding back certain things that don't need to be put out, but also being the way that I approach negotiation is I'm, I'm consistent. I, you won't hear me say anything other than the thing that I just said. I, I'm going to continue to present it so that I, I build trust in the other person. Um, and, and it's that, it's that that gets me far in when I'm negotiating, um, when I'm negotiating resolution of litigation. I have been since day one telling the same story, citing the same facts and the same evidence. So it just never changes. If I've got bad facts, I've put them out there early and I've, you know, beat it into the other side. Like this is a bad fact for me, but these are the other reasons why the case isn't going away. And, and we just keep going um, with me saying the same story and letting them know I'm gonna go all the way to trial. And at the end of the day, you know, the things that we say about what happens at trial, essentially, it's a jury, you don't know what's going to happen at trial, um, to the extent that it is jury as opposed to a bench trial, and it's just the judge. But those are the types of skills that I use to carry the day for me in negotiation, being consistent, being honest, and trying to um, get get the trust of the other side, as well as just showing competence, but not arrogance. No, I love that. And of course, those skills are transferable to any negotiation that you have for yourself, right? Negotiating salary, walking in, being prepared. You know, often when I'm negotiating, uh, you all can use those in your same relationships when you're talking about if you have, you know, you know, people that have worked there, if you know, um, if you have any sort of salary history, I think even LinkedIn does a pretty good job. You have to have, I think the premium account but you can see like what salaries are sort of what ranges are. So it kind of gives you an idea. Um, but anyway, just some tools for the tools for the shed, so to speak. Uh, Diane, how about you? Same question. How has negotiation sort of played a role in, um, in your sort of uh, process and in your career? Um, I mean, I, I tend to look at this as a pure litigator, uh, which is, you know, how do I get people that, Otherwise, don't want to give me something to, to decide that it is in their best interest for them to give it to me. You know, it can come up, that's my guess. Um, it can come up in a lot of different ways, right? It could be a discovery dispute. It could be, uh, you know, a, a negotiation over money, whatever it is, settlement negotiation. But basically, I'm trying to figure out what it is that uh, will have the other side understand the error of their ways. And, and, and also that I'm right, right? That when I tell them, if we proceed, let's say we're trying to settle a case. If we proceed, you're going to go to a very bad place and it's just going to be worse for you. So you would be better off just giving me money now. It's kind of the premise, right? And so to Kamika's point, trust is huge. 
and not just trust, personal trust as in a, you know, like for that, I, I would say like for a business negotiation, you just have that, right? But I've got the, in a litigation context, I usually have the merits of the lawsuit. So I'm building credibility all the way through the lawsuit by making strategic choices about how I present it, what I present, how I deal with the bad facts, um, changing my position sometimes uh, in re in reaction to new evidence that comes along, sometimes can build credibility too. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're not really a bluffer, right? So if I tell you like, you're gonna pay this amount, I really wanna have the backup to tell the other person that if they proceed and they don't agree with me, then they are going to be paying that money or whatever. So yeah, so I think trust and credibility are absolutely key. They also allow you to go home and tell your partner or spouse that you did good stuff that day because you were honest and you feel honorable about the things that you did. You didn't try to trick anybody in the, into it. You know, I always wonder about lawyers like that. I'm like, how do you go sleep at night? Um, but it's, it's, it makes you feel all the more justified in what you're asking for. And when you have the right evidence lined up to back it up, whether it's, you know, you're, you're saying why you're valued at that, at that company and you deserve more money or whatever it is. I mean, get your ducks in a row and have it ready and make your case and show that they really can't do without you, right? It's the same kind of a thing. Like, do you want me not to be here or do you want me to be a happy, a happy employee? And, um, you know, just, just, I guess, thinking that through and, and presenting it in a credible way is, is key. Right. Like knowing your value and being able to present that with, with evidence. Yeah. I love that. No, that that's important. Uh, and sometimes it's, you know, I've had that problem throughout my career where you, you know, you just, you maybe not even sort of recognize what your value is, you know, you go into it maybe as a, uh, maybe too humble, I think as, uh, as Kanika said, uh, show confidence, but not arrogance. Right. So I think, uh, there's, a, that's sort of taken, taken to heart there. Um, all right. So next question also it goes to your branding go concept, right? Knowing, going through that exercise, understanding who you are and what you bring to the party that, Knowing that ahead of time, you're halfway there. Right. Agreed. Agreed 100%. Um, okay. So what is something uh, that you've worked on? Let's go back to you, Kanika. Something you've worked on or learned in your current role that was unexpected. So obviously, this is an internship class, right? So throughout the semester, we've gotten, Deedon and I have gotten emails about unexpected situations, unexpected things with, uh, you know, working in an internship or a job. Uh, so maybe talk a little bit about uh, maybe an experience that, that you've had in that way. Um, that's, a, that's a great question, a great prompt. Um, I guess what comes to mind about something that was unexpected, but is a, sadly a reoccurring theme is um, when you have to fire a client. Um, that, that to me was something I never thought of as something you have to do, you have to make that decision sometimes. Sometimes you find that your client lacks credibility, has, has some sort of issue um, that you just can't get past, has an ethical issue that you just will not accept, um, has a problem um, accepting your advice and moving forward with it and so you, you just kind of have irreconcilable differences. And it's when those issues come up that you have to let your client go. And I, it's unexpected because you think, oh, wow, I'm here. 
I got the job. I got a client base coming in. Someone wants to hire me. They're, they've got money. <laughs> um, they're going to pay me to do this great thing. It's a great project, a great issue. But there could be something fundamentally flawed about that relationship or, or that entity with whom you're working that, that's going to require you to make the decision to part ways. And, um, and that has been unexpected for me uh, in my career, but I've had to do it um, a few times and, and you have to just let people go in certain instances. I love that because it's uh, the power of being able to walk away is uh, very powerful in any negotiation, right? And it's like, uh, and you know, in some sense, it's it's like the old saying about <laughs> you bringing on a bringing on a client or a business partner, and uh, realizing that you're doing it for the money, which is you know not necessarily a bad thing, but then you realize you end up spending more money on the problem <laughs> than on actually making money or working with the client. But exactly. uh, and relationships, regardless of clients or whatever, seem to work that same way. Uh, so Diane, maybe same question to you. Uh, sort of something that you've worked on um, uh, or learned in your current role that was unexpected? Um, well, the nature of my practice is to deal with a certain amount of craziness. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I have to say, I'm not all that surprised. Yes, there are crazy things that happen, but that's just the practice that I've I've sort of grown into. Um, but I think what I think in terms of what surprises me is when my spidey sense works, you know, like I have this idea that while they're really saying no, 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 they really are shielding a yes, yes, yes. And that if I just wait it out, they'll come around because they did X, Y, and Z thing that just didn't quite ring, you know, like my it's it's an intuitive thing that I just I don't know. I probably just had it before, but I didn't really trust it. And I feel like now I have more confidence as an older litigator and with a few more years under my belt, it's like, yeah, it actually did play out that way. So that's kind of how I, you know, I'm surprised sometimes. And when I work with younger associates, they don't see that or they don't trust that it's going to happen. And I'm like, no, I think I got this, you know? So, so um, I think that's, that's kind of what surprises me is when people do come around because there's a lot of posturing as you can imagine. And, and it's hard sometimes to see, um, you know, whether people are really dug in or whether they, they are hearing you despite the fact that, you know, they're, they're claiming not to. No, thanks, Diane. That's good info. Um, so changing gears a bit. So Kanika, I'm going to go back to you. And these will be the last two questions is, uh, so obviously there's a lot of changes going on in the sports industry. You know, you're right there in the center of it. Um, the last class we had on uh, uh, two gentlemen, one was uh, working at Nielsen ratings, uh, talked a lot about sort of the future of sports and streaming and um, sort of the combination of sort of entertainment media and sports and content. And, and obviously today was the, sort of grand opening, if you will, for name, image, and likeness uh, in sports with, with a few different states, obviously sports gambling. Uh, and then the other person we had on was from Warner Media, uh, who had some involvement with HBO Max and some other stuff. And he used to work for AT&T. So um, what, like, what are some of the trends that you're sort of seeing in sort of entertainment, media, and sports, um, or even industry and business trends in general? another great question um so there are two 
two big trends that I'm seeing. I was on a panel last year, actually the year before, um, talking about trends. Uh, and we were talking about how our clients, um, a major league baseball team and what they were doing with their um, with their television rights and, and the like. And so I see in that respect, I see a lot of changes in terms of um, rights that are given to networks and rights, um, you know, you're able to stream games on Amazon Prime and things like that. I, I, I'm seeing a lot of changes in those types of content agreements and and how people, how teams, how entities are um, sharing those, those rights. Uh, in the past, those rights have been decades long under decades long agreements. And now they're much shorter agreements and they're much more limited in scope. And so there, there are lots of changes there. Um, and it's based on um, a younger generation and their, the way that they view and, and accept or, or, or um, watch content. Um, do you, are people actually going to these games anymore? Do they actually just wanna download them on some gadget, maybe not even just a phone? Um, and when do they want to see it and what information do they want to see and, you know, RFID, radio um, frequency identification, um, those types of issues I'm seeing uh, really playing, um, playing into um, the future of, of media and entertainment and sports. That's one um, angle. The other angle that I'm seeing is because of the, the social um, issues of the day, um, you know, diversity and inclusion issues are really carrying the day and um, have really taken hold since um, the George Floyd um, murder that that whole, um, since that happened, since all the, the visibility there occurred, lots of people haven't just taken that as oh, that was something that occurred as opposed to this is something that is really going to change the world. And as a result, as I mentioned, one of my clients earlier is forcing every company that wants to contract with his company to sign these riders to really enforce and regulate diversity and inclusion issues on a going forward basis as to hiring above the line and below the line in, in the production sense. And, and so he's not the only one who's doing this. This is happening, you know, all across uh, professional sports. And, and so I see that as a trend that's going to continue as well. Well, thanks, Kanika. And then, Diane, I'm going to uh, change gears a little bit. I'm going to go back to your book, and then I'm going to close with a question for both of you. So talk a little bit about your book in the beginning, but tell us a little bit, because, you know, part of this class is trying to figure out your why, you know, like, why are you in sports? Why are you pursuing what you're pursuing? you know, what's your passion, right? So tell us your why in the sense of why you wrote your book and what it means to you and, and what are you trying to share with people? Oh, um, I guess, you know, with the book, I thought that it was, I thought there was a fair amount of confusion in terms of, you know, whether it's in-house counsel or business people that are dealing with litigation, you know, for many business people that have their organization involved in litigation, it might be their first time or they've had some horrible you know, situation in the past that they just remember it cost tons of money and it was frustratingly slow, et cetera. 
And so I thought, wouldn't it be better if the business people and the lawyers involved had a way to kind of understand the, the rules of the game and how it works, what, what mechanisms they have to get information, for example, what mechanisms they have to get out of the litigation or to you know, create an early exit for themselves, how to select counsel that has that in mind, um, you know, and is structuring the case from the very beginning to try and, you know, save save the client's money and get them out of whatever the problem is, resolve this as soon as possible. And uh, so I just started writing and I just got up in the morning, you know, really early and just, I would knock out so many words and and it kind of wrote itself because I've been doing this for a really long time. And it's not, I, I mean, I say write in the book, this is at the level of like, Google counties or something like we're not down the streets. This is not a textbook in the sense that you're going to learn the individual rules. It's more like this is the framework and how it works. So it was meant to make all that very accessible to whoever is doing this litigation. It's it's it says business litigation and it really was designed around business litigation, but it's any kind of US litigation is still going to, you know, this it's the same principles. You know, criminal is a little bit different, but um, civil, any kind of civil litigation, any kind of uh, individual uh, you know, dispute, even like family law, there's some particulars that are around family law, for example, but, you know, the ideas of cross-examination, why cross-examination is important and, you know, how do witness statements work and, you know, all that kind of stuff, that's all in the book. See, and I love that. And I encourage, I mean, I know the title for obviously the non- non-law folks, right? Which is, which is the, I guess the entire class, except for me, Diane and, and Kanika, although sometimes Deedon uh, acts like a lawyer, but that's a different story. Um, so um, it's, it, I really encourage you guys to pick up the book because um, as Diane said, it's, I think as any sort of front office executive in sports, knowing like where your weak points are and being able to work with your legal department uh, is just so important, right? Often on the in-house counsel side, um, lawyers are referred to as the department of no, because they always tell people, no, you can't do that. And so when I was in this last interview, I think I shocked him a little bit because I was like, I like to be the department of yes, but yes, we can do that, but you're going to change this, you know? So you're trying to find a way to get business done, right? And I think that's the, Diane and Kanika come along and uh, they're deal makers, but they're also like, they're the people that, you know, when the deal goes wrong, you know, they're going to come in there and try to fix it. Right. They're going to be the litigators. But so I, I, I hope that sort of Deed and I would expose you to that and uh, sort of have a, a wide range of, uh, of experiences through the entire course. But uh, last question. So we'll go to Kanika and then Diane will finish us off is tips and advice on being a professional and uh, well-respected by your colleagues. So Kanika to you first. Sure. That's a, that's a tough one because you hope that, that you're being, that you're well-respected by your colleagues and you hope that people see you as professional. And the only way to ensure that's occurring is to strive to be respectful and professional one of the ways that I try to encompass both is by always being willing to learn, whether it's from opposing counsel, 
you know, that's someone who's on across the table from me, um, from my clients, from from whom from the judge. Um, I am always open to learning. And in saying that, and I'm sorry, there's a sounds like a fire truck is coming behind me. Um, and in saying that, I try to always um, continue to 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 grow and, and and not be not show to my clients that that I don't know something that I'm ignorant of an issue. I'm I'm not. I am just open to hearing the other side, and accepting it, taking it in, considering it, and then making my my own sound conclusion and recommendation to my clients and to my counterparts in my office or um, you know wherever it is in the legal industry. So I guess just generally it's just trying to be open-minded um, and and not be the loudest person in the room. Uh, be someone who is willing to listen, to learn, and to impart information when it's requested or when it seems as though someone is struggling. And, and I do have experience that they may find useful if they're so willing to accept it. So it's, you know, just trying to um, kind of be balanced and, and how it is that you approach other people and situations and willing to accept that maybe you don't have all of the information that should be considered before um, making a snap decision on something. And, and I think in, in doing that, I have um, been able to get the respect of the court, the judge, the opposing counsel, and my clients, because I'm not just jamming information down their throats. I'm showing that I know something, but I'm willing to learn more. I love that. Um, it's so important. I often say that, thanks for sharing that, Kanika, because I often enjoy like the bad experience because you learn what you do and don't like. And you know, when I was in law school, I, I had a ton of internships that I didn't like. But I clearly figured out that I didn't want to get into those practice areas, right? And so that was able to, so I encourage each of you as you're going through these internships, take on opportunities that you might think, oh, well, I don't know, this might not be the best thing for me. Um, but you get in there and you might love it, or you might, it might confirm your hatred for it. <laughs> but uh, at least you figure it out and you're not going to spend time, um, you know, uh, spending the next 10, 20 years into it, you know? So, all right, Diane, let's finish this off. Same question. What advice do you have for our wonderful group of students here? Uh, well, I, I really feel that Kanika nailed it. Um, I mean, that's just so true to be open-minded. And I mean, that's kind of being a real person, right? Is being, you know, understanding the limitations that you bring and, and also the strengths that you bring. And so, I definitely hear that. And I, I guess I would just also kind of amplify it by speaking to vulnerability, which I think is uh, something that I, I more embraced as I got older. I think as a very, very young lawyer, I was concerned about letting people know if I didn't know something. Um, you know, I just thought that would be the death of me if I admitted it. And uh, I'm more than happy now to to say, hey, I, you know, this is not something that I, you know, I, I really am aware of, or I've had this experience, which has, you know, has created this concern. And, you know, about half the time, 
the person listening to it is like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, it moves on. And, and that's where you have real conversations. And so um, if any of you have um, missed Brene Brown's uh, discussions of vulnerability, uh, I think they're really, they're really good. And they're, they're not only good for your career, but also for your wellness in life. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you just earn that respect, right? By being credible, by doing your homework, by being a team player, by being the person that's always there to help regardless, you know, at least in, in my corner of the world, you know, anytime of day or night, um, you know, by not saying, oh, well, that's not my job description anymore. Um, you know, but instead just, we got to take the hill. We're going to take the hill together. You know, there's, uh, you build a lot of, um, even love, you know, I mean, you know, my compatriots and, you know, once you've gone to trial with people, you, you know, they're like your family and you earn that respect by being a hundred percent in and, you know, and that's, that's the case, whether it's a, you know, a job or a personal relationship. No, well, thanks, Diane. Uh, thanks, Kanika. So round of applause for our two wonderful speakers today. Awesome. And, um, you know, thank you both. Appreciate your time. And all right. So that was Kanika Corley and Diane Caffarada as a part of the graduate sport management course uh, there at um, Cal State Long Beach that I co-teach with uh, Deedon Brozino over at the Rose Bowl. Always a pleasure being with you. Appreciate you listening in. And thank you again for making the Believe in Sports Law podcast the number one sports law podcast in the world. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.